You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Elijah, by the word of the Lord, says, okay, do what you said, but before you have some for you and your son, bring me some. Sounds selfish, but it's not. It's the word of the Lord, and she has a choice now whether she's going to respond in faith or not. And she responds in faith, and day after day, God multiplies the flour, multiplies the oil, supplies everything her and her child needs, and supplies for Elijah. It's amazing. But she had to exercise that faith in order to receive the miraculous. Elijah was a prophet of the Lord, and during a season of rest, God showed up in a powerful way. He provided not only for Elijah, but also for a woman and her son in a miraculous way by his spirit. As you listen to today's message with Pastor Danny, you'll learn more about the workings of the Holy Spirit. You'll also be challenged to trust the Lord and his ways, even when you don't understand them. God is faithful to show up and provide for you right on time and in his own miraculous ways. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as he continues his message, The Gifts of the Holy Spirit. next one is faith. This is not everyday faith for living the Christian life. This is a special supernatural gift of faith for believing the impossible. Now, many times this gift is linked with a gift of healing or a gift of miracles. Okay? Go and look with me, Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. And uh, a lot of us may be familiar with this, but uh, boy, every time I read this, it's just fresh. It's just fresh. Matthew 14, verse 25. Let me set it up. Again, a lot of us know the story. Jesus tells his disciples to get into a boat on the Sea of Galilee. He goes up on the mountainside. It's night, and uh, a storm comes up, and they are in the middle of the storm, terrible storm, on in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And it says, verse 25, during the fourth watch of the night, that's between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. They think they're going to die. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. I don't know if Peter expected the response that he got. Jesus said, come. And if you're familiar with the story, Peter has the faith. This is not everyday faith, folks. I mean, this is, you talk about faith. He steps out of that boat and he begins to walk in the midst of that storm on the water. It's a gift of faith and it's also a gift of miracles. And of course, you know how it ended. Long as he's got his eyes on Jesus, he's doing okay. But as soon as he gets his eyes off of Jesus and on the winds and the waves, then he begins to sink. 
But for a period of time there, he had the faith for the impossible. I won't turn to it, but 1 Kings chapter 17 in the ministry of Elijah the prophet. Uh, interesting story because there's a famine. God's providentially providing for Elijah by sending food through ravens. These ravens will come and bring Elijah food day after day. He's drinking from the brook, but because of the famine, the brook dries up. And then God speaks to Elijah and he says, now, go to Zarephath. I got a widow there and I've commanded her to provide for you. That's interesting because God's going to provide for the widow and through the widow provide for Elijah. He gets there. There's this woman uh, she's destitute. She's picking up some sticks and he uh, asked her for something. She said, I don't have, I just got a little flour and a little oil in a jar. I'm going to make my last meal for me and my son that we die. And Elijah, by the word of the Lord says, okay, do what you said, but before you have some for you and your son, bring me some. Sounds selfish, but it's not. It's the word of the Lord. And she has a choice now whether she's going to respond in faith or not. And she responds in faith And day after day, God multiplies the flour, multiplies the oil, supplies everything her and her child needs, and supplies for Elijah. It's amazing. (laughs) But she had to exercise that faith in order to receive the miraculous. Look, there's a ton of examples for this. I'll just give you a couple. Ton of examples. But Acts chapter 3, one of my favorites. Acts chapter 3. Verse 1, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple court. Side note, if he was put there every day in the three years of Jesus' first coming, he would have passed by this guy many times, okay? But it wasn't God's will then to heal him. He had a more opportune moment. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. He's expecting something financial. He gets a lot better. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Taking him by the right hand. He helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went out with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. And it was a witness to the truth about Jesus, because that's who Peter and John preached. That's who they followed, and everybody knew it. Acts chapter 9, verse 32. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the saints in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, a paralytic who had been bedridden for eight years. So the guy in Acts 3, he was born that way. This guy has only been this way eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up. Take care of your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him, and catch this, turn to the Lord. It's not just a healing for healing's sake. Oh, God has compassion, and God will do that sometimes. But a lot of times it's a healing to give witness to the truth about Jesus. One more. Acts chapter 14. Verse 8, in Lystra there said a man crippled in his feet who was lame from birth and had never walked. 
He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and he called out, stand up on your feet. At the man, that the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lycaonian language. So this is missionary work here. They get the wrong idea. Paul and them try to straighten them out. They say, the gods have come down to us. And they misinterpreted uh, what's actually happening. And it was a challenge for Paul and his ministry team. But the point is, God gave healing and again, testimony to the truth about Jesus. And then there's the gift of miracles. Back up with me to Acts chapter 9. And now go down verse 36. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated is Dorcas. It means gazelle. I picture this woman as being thin, maybe on the track team in high school, always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around, crying, showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and he prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand, helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. Notice the result. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. I don't know if you read much of what's happening around the world, but even though we may not see all these kind of things happening in our world, there are a lot of places these kind of things are happening. Fascinating. Muslim countries. Muslims are coming to the Lord through miraculous things that are happening. It's incredible. I mean, in our day, in our world, well, you got to... Acts chapter 20, you got to look at this one real quick. Every time I read this one, I can't help but chuckle. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. You think my messages are long. No, you got it so good. You have it so good. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where they were meeting, uh, where we were meeting, so kind of stuffy. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. I only do 45 minutes and I, I do that to some of you. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up, get this, dead. Paul killed him. Paul went down, I, don't you love it? Paul went down, threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. And for Paul's sake and this guy's sake and the church's sake and the witness' sake, God resurrected this guy that he killed by his long message. <laughs> I love it. I'll just tell you this when Acts 28, maybe you're familiar with the shipwreck with Paul and Luke uh, and the others, of course, that were with them on the island of Malta. It's winter, it's cold, they build a fire, and Paul takes some brushwood to put on the fire. And when he takes the brushwood, a viper, very poisonous snake, grabs hold of his arm. The islanders watch what happens, and here's what they think. This guy must be a murderer or some kind of terrible criminal, because even though he's escaped the sea, the gods basically are not letting him get off with his sin and his crime. And they waited. However long they waited, we don't know. They waited, they waited, they waited. Paul shook the viper off 
into the fire and went back to the popcorn. And they waited and they watched and he suffered no ill effects from this poisonous snake bite. You read the end of Mark 16. That's one of the things God said sometimes would happen. Poisonous things and snakes and there'll be no ill effect. That's what happened to Paul. Now don't go testing that. That's foolishness to test the Lord. You understand what I mean? Don't go testing the Lord. No, don't. These guys that do meetings in their church services with rattlesnakes, God help them. I mean, God help them. That's testing the Lord. And then as we kind of bring it toward a close, there's the gift of discerning of spirits. Acts chapter 8. And before we read it, Years ago, we used to give this test it provided by, I think it was Fuller Theological or one of those institutions. I don't do it anymore. I don't think that's the way to go. That's just me personally. But we did for a while. And it had all these questions that people in the church, if they wanted to take it, and it would help you hopefully determine what gift and giftings you had. And we used to do that. And I used to look at them, all right, all of them. It just, we weren't a big fellowship at the time. And hands down, I tell you, hands down, without question, The number one gift across the board that people thought they had of of any of the gifts was this gift of discerning of spirits. And they were sincere, but I believe sincerely wrong. Because I discovered after a while we were doing that test that what they had, they thought it was the gift of discerning of spirits, but what they had was the gift of deciding who they liked and who they don't like. (laughs) No, there's something about them. I can discern it. But listen, the gift of discerning of spirits is the gift of discerning whether someone's of God or of the enemy. Look at it, Acts chapter 8, verse 9. Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people both high and low gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is the divine power known as the great power. He's a god. Well, God sends Philip to Samaria Philip became known as Philip the Evangelist. And in Samaria, Philip, his ministry, God gave revival to Samaria. And one of the people who got saved, supposedly, was Simon the Sorcerer. Look at verse 13. Simon himself believed and he was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. Verse 18, when Simon saw that the spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And that's a clue. Something's not right with him, but it's only a clue. It goes much deeper than that. You read on. Peter answered, may your money perish with you. That's a strong statement. Peter's saying, even though you have believed in Jesus and been baptized, you're still a child of the devil. You're you're going to perish. May your money perish with you. That's what he says. Because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he'll forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I can see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. How would he know that? It's this gift right here. The discerning of spirits. I gave you a couple of examples. You can look at it on your own. Let me give you one more that's not up here, though. Jesus, again, uh, look. Jesus went out and prayed all night, and he went back among his disciples, and he chose 12, and he designated them apostles. Of those 12, one, Judas Iscariot, 
Jesus said was a devil from the beginning. But none of the other 11 knew he was a devil. The night Judas Iscariot went out for 30 pieces of silver, betrayed the Lord of glory. The other 11 thought he was going on an errand for Jesus. Nobody saw his true colors. And you could not have seen his true colors without this gift. It's a supernatural thing to recognize who's a child of God and who's not. And there are occasions when for truth's sake and the kingdom's sake, God gives a supernatural gift to say, no, no, you're a child of the enemy. You're a devil. And then, and I didn't leave a lot of time for this, but probably the most controversial of these manifestation gifts is the gift of tongues. Very misunderstood, very misunderstood by people who don't believe in it or who don't understand it. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 2, very quickly. Anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Very important. For years, as I began to believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and I haven't really experienced anything, um, I began to believe in them based on a study of the scriptures. But I couldn't understand. I couldn't understand what's the difference in a gift of prophesying or prophecy and a gift of tongues with interpretation. What's the difference? And then one day the light popped on. The Holy Spirit popped the light on. They're different because anyone who speaks in a tongue, I just read it. It says it very clearly. Does not speak to men, but to God. Acts chapter 2, it says they heard them declaring the wonders of God. They're overflowing with the Spirit. They're declaring the wonders of God. They're praising. They're worshiping. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 14, and he says, and I think he shocked the Corinthian church. He said, I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church, I'd rather speak five words you can understand than 10,000 words in a tongue. You get the impression he rarely, if ever, spoke in tongues publicly. But he said, I speak in tongues more than all of you. And he goes on to say, in light of it being directed heavenward, I'll pray with my spirit. There is a prayer tongue. It's a supernatural gift to pray. He says, I'll sing with my spirit. There's evidently a supernatural gift that you can sing and praise God in a supernatural gift of tongues. Verse 4, 1 Corinthians 14 he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. That's not a negative. That's just the truth, that the primary purpose of this gift of tongues is personal edification, prayer, praise, things like that. Now, based on those verses, especially verse 2, it's my belief, and I think it's pretty clear, if tongues are ever to be exercised in a public setting, first of all, you read on, it says there must be an interpretation. Otherwise, what's the purpose? Corinthian church had it all messed up. Everybody come together and almost the whole church starts speaking in tongues. And it goes on to say, if somebody who does not understand, that's a believer who doesn't understand the gift of tongues, or an unbeliever comes in, won't they think you're out of your mind? What's the purpose? Unless there's an interpretation. And then the church is edified. But it's my belief, based on 1 Corinthians 14, 2, if there's an interpretation, it is not something like, and please hear this, Thus saith the Lord. I've been in meetings, meetings before when there was a tongue given and an interpretation given, and the interpretation was, thus saith the Lord. Now, I believe both of those people can be sincere in trying to exercise something of the Spirit, but it's my personal belief based on what I just said, 1 Corinthians 14, 2, 
that the one who gave the interpretation perhaps had a gift of prophecy, prophesying, and mistook it for the interpretation of the tongue. That's my belief based on 1 Corinthians 2. The interpretation, if it's biblical, I believe would be something of a praise, an exaltation, a prayer. And the response of the church, the church is edified and we would say, amen. Amen. Okay? That's my belief based on 1 Corinthians 14.2. All right. Then there's the interpretation of tongues. There's no example of that because it's obvious what it is. It's another supernatural gift. And um, if there's ever to be a tongue in a public setting in a church meeting, there must be interpretation. Otherwise, what's the point? God wants to communicate. That's why Paul said, I'd rather speak five words you can understand than 10,000 words in a tongue. The last thing he said is that tongues are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Let me tell you very quickly what that means. It means just what it says. But he's taking that from Isaiah. Isaiah refers to God bringing the Assyrians against Israel because Israel in their rebellion against the Lord, they weren't right with God. God brings the Assyrians. He brings a people of obscure speech. They can't understand their language. And their language in itself was a sign of judgment because of their sin and their rebellion. Fast forward to Acts chapter 2. Those tongues was, it was a good gift to those uh, disciples there in the upper room. But it was a sign to the unbelievers gathered for that religious Pentecost feast because the majority of them as a whole had rejected Jesus as their Messiah. And those tongues was a stamp of the Spirit's approval on those that had accepted Jesus. And so it's a sign to the unbelievers that this is the truth. Jesus is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. Fast forward to Acts chapter 10. Cornelius, the uncircumcised um, centurion, and a house full of uncircumcised people, family and friends. They heard Peter give the gospel. At the same time, the Holy Spirit falls upon them. They spoke in tongues. And that tongue speaking was a good gift, but it was also a sign to Peter and the circumcised believers that had come with him because they had to learn the lesson that they're not more righteous because they're circumcised. They're not more righteous because they're Jewish. The salvation comes equally to Jew and Gentile by faith in Jesus Christ. And so that gift of tongues, what did Peter and the circumcised disciples say? We're amazed that God gave the same gift to these uncircumcised believers that he did to us at Pentecost. It was a sign that this is the way. And it's by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice alone. Amen? Amen. I read years ago in a John Corson commentary, these words. John Corson says, these wonderful, miraculous operations and expressions were in connection with the Great Commission. Therefore, I believe one of the best ways, not the only way, but one of the best ways to see the miraculous happen to a greater degree is to be involved in radical evangelism. He goes on to say, as we're going into the jungles, into the inner city, Throughout the community, sharing the Lord, He will confirm our message with the miraculous. As you study the book of Acts, you see the operation of the miraculous most closely associated with evangelism because the operation of the miraculous is primarily for the unbeliever. Now, don't misunderstand that statement. It's not exclusively connected with evangelism, but you find oftentimes that's when God chooses to exercise the 
miraculous. We're so glad that you joined us for today's edition of The Living Word. Thanks for being a part of our listening audience. If you'd like to hear today's message again or more from Pastor Danny, visit ccfstpete.church. You're also invited to join our Bible reading plan. Just look under the Resources tab on our website for more information. This is a great way to dive into the Word of God. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to take a moment to ask you to partner with us here on The Living Word. Would you join us in praying for the listeners of this program? You never know how someone might be impacted by hearing about God and His Word over the radio. So please pray that anyone listening today would be open to hearing the gospel message. We ask that you pray for soft hearts and receptive minds to the grace Jesus offers to everyone. Pray also that we'd continue to seek God's will for this program and that we'd have the courage to follow Him wherever He leads. As you pray, let us know if God would lead you to support the Living Word financially. If you'd like to give any amount to this ministry, please visit our website at ccfstpete.church and click on the Give tab. We're so grateful for the support. Thanks for praying with and for us. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for tuning in. Pastor Danny will share more on Christian basics next time, right here on The Living Word.